Well, hello again, friends and leaders. Welcome back to What Leaders Want. I'm your host, Jay Delling, and it's here that we peel the proverbial onion back on how leadership makes the world go around. Today's podcast is sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders of people. And today we focus on the people recruiting industry. Our special guest is Alex McFarland, president and founder of Percivus. Alex, thanks for stopping by to talk about the impact leadership has with you helping your customers recruit the right people fit and to talk about leadership in general. Welcome. Thanks, Jay. I'm uh, really happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation with you. All right, let's have some fun about leadership. So tell me, how does a United States Air Force Airborne Signal Intelligence Officer morph into one of the most creative business talent recruiters in corporate America today? That is a really interesting question. It's It started uh, after I got out of the Air Force. This is going to be a little bit of a journey, but it was uh, quite the experience to go through it. So I got out of the Air Force and I desperately wanted to see the world. When I was in the Air Force, I was stationed in uh, in California and then Omaha, and I just didn't get that that sense of what the world was like. So after I got out of the Air Force, I went to Norway, uh, ended up after college, after I, I used the GI Bill, go to college, I ended up in uh, in Africa with my first entrepreneurial enter- enterprise in Cameroon, starting a, a social enterprise that would bring uh, African intellectuals and American high school students together for a kind of a cultural exchange program. That that didn't quite work out, but it was my first experience uh, working overseas that got the bug going in me. and. Uh, Ended up starting after that experience. Ended up starting a logistics firm, uh, co-founding a logistics firm, and we would do operational support for the military all over the world. And that was my first taste of what it was like to do high-pressure recruiting. We would mm-hmm. get contracts with a couple weeks' notice, saying, "Hey, we're going to have a thousand seamen in uh, in Guatemala. We're going to need tents, trucks, food, uh, all kinds of all kinds of support." So we would have to go down to the location recruit drivers, recruit uh, different service providers. And that was really my first taste into recruiting. And when I got tired of living out of a backpack, stamping my passport, I came back home to Omaha, Nebraska and, and thought, hey, I'm gonna apply my my experience in federal contracting to to, to business in the, in the States. And quickly realized that there was a lot of opportunity for staffing uh, these projects that we were selling. So that was my, Kind of the the long way around was uh, doing triage staffing in in the in the developing world, and then applying those same lessons that I learned to recruiting veterans for for technical jobs in the United States. And then uh, when COVID hit, we had to make a pivot. We were doing staffing in a lot of hospitals around the country. I think we had we were in ten states at that time, and that. Uh, contracted by about 85%. So we did a hard pivot to direct placement recruiting. And again, constantly learning, constantly growing on the skills that we were developing. And that turned out to be a tremendous pivot for us. And uh, and uh, we've been we've been building on it ever since. So Alex, let me ask you this. Are you a Simon Sinek fan? I love Simon. Yeah. Love him. Great motivational speaker. And as you know, Simon is an advocate for the U.S. military, actually all branches. He talks of how the military has really figured it out. You know, the recruits show up 
in a very short time, they'll risk their lives for the man or woman to their right or left. Why? Well, because each one of them would risk their life in the same way. So now let's flip that. In the corporate world, wouldn't we put ourselves at great risk for our companies if we knew our company's leadership would put themselves at great risk for us? So in many cases, those companies don't do that, Alex. So we don't. So what are your thoughts about that? I I think that that is a really ties into a core phenomenon or uh, something that we've tapped into at Percivus, which is what we call a career gap, the gap between where somebody is today and where they want to go in the future and and that where we want to go in the future, that's vision, right? So I think that one of the things that we coach our clients on is really clarifying their vision for their organization and then connecting the vision for the organization to the role that they're recruiting for. And, and when they're having conversations with candidates, whether it's a candidate for a new role uh, or new, new to their company, or maybe a candidate for an internal promotion, to understand what that can what that person's career gap is, what their vision for their own future is, and then tie those together, and then give the candidate a chance to determine whether or not they think that those that fit makes sense for them. So I would say, you know, if if you're going to start anywhere, I'd, I'd start there. That's a great place to start. So I really admire your leadership philosophy. It's, it's built around your core values of belief. You've already talked about vision, ownership, persistence, and resilience in yourself and your team. So why does that leadership picture work for you? Boy, I think it's because we were very much an entrepreneurial business. We're small and we... We, I think we realized uh, shortly after our pivot into direct placement recruiting that the the recruiting business was broken. There was, we talked a lot about partnership, but it was, we were, we were finding obstacles all over the place to actually work in sync or in partnership with our clients. So we were constantly challenged to try new things, to be able to solve problems for our, our clients and for ourselves. So with that we had this like we talked about we had a vision for the future for what it could be like and we had a vision for that plan for how we were going to do that but you know you take ownership for moving down that path take responsibility for for doing the action that's that's needed we're going to run into problems all all over the place that we, we some we can anticipate others that we don't so we need to uh persist through those and then the resilience is is all about having fun or trying to enjoy ourselves through the process. And uh, so I think when we tie all those things together, I would attribute those those five beliefs or you know, starting with beliefs and those other values is really all about being able to survive a journey where we're trying to challenge the status quo in a really, really well-established industry. So Alex, you know, you have a, a multitude of, of experiences around you know, leadership, around uh, teams, obviously, in your military experience, it's it's all about team, right? And so, what is your secret sauce? What is your secret strategic leadership advice about building successful teams? What does that look like? I I think that this is one that that I'm, I'm going to go. So I'm a, I have a degree in in philosophy. That was my the GI Bill. The GI Bill paid for a, a degree in philosophy at the University of Colorado and. I would tie it back to uh, something I learned from Kant, which is uh, treating people as ends in themselves. 
not means to ends. So at the core of our, the way that we operate at Persevis, the way that we recruit, the way that we work with our clients is, is not treating people as means to our goals. They're not a commission. They're not a, they're not just a, a, a payday for us. It's a, it's really about thinking about, are we setting up our clients? Are we setting up our candidates for success it, when we're introducing them to new opportunities and, and help advising them through the pipeline? I can't tell you how often, Jay, we end up having a conversation with a candidate where we say, gosh, you got a, you got a ton of talent. I think our, I think our client would benefit from you greatly. But based on what I understand about their business and what you're looking to do, I don't think we have a match for for you long term. And I don't think we'd be doing a service to introduce you. And I tell you what, those people come back. They they're they're grateful for that. But it's also something that uh, maybe isn't the best for our our short term bottom line. But treating people as ends in themselves allows us to uh, build relationships that that I think last. And, and that's been really great for our business. We'll talk about that for a minute, Alex. I mean, you know, it, it it's so easy to feed those people a line, right? And so, you know, I like the the strategic leadership outlook of, hey, you know, be upfront, be honest, and and me maybe even provide some, you know, some critique, something for them to work on, something for them to develop. So, talk about that balance between you know, you know, being straightforward and honest with people and genuinely and authentically trying to develop them all the same. Yeah, that's, I think that there is, I'll break my answer up into two parts. One is working with candidates and then one is working with our internal team and work with our clients. Uh, you know, with candidates, we find that there is, people want feedback and we try to keep the feedback as positive and centered around their success as possible. It, it oftentimes we can encounter no's or roadblocks in our journey that I think if we look back on later, actually turned out to be great that we that we get, we hit that roadblock. So I'll give you a quick example. When I was in the Air Force, I I broke my leg on a, in a motorcycle accident. I thought the you know it was the end of the world, and mm -hmm. it actually it turned out to be a open up tremendous opportunities for me later on. So. Uh, you know, you never know, uh, never know how those things are going to work out. So we try to keep the really positive perspective on that. In terms of um, with our with our clients and with our internal team, going back to treating people as as ends in themselves, it's like we re we really care about them. And I think if we really care and people know that you care, they'll give you a lot of leeway to provide feedback and say, hey. This is the way that you're doing this isn't going to work, uh, and here's why. And that that medicine can be can be kind of sour to take, especially if if you think somebody is doing it to, uh, in a when it's not in your interest. But as a as a young leader and somebody that doesn't have a lot of skills in communicating those things, I've leaned on caring a lot as a way to bypass maybe my lack of skill at 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 sugaring up that medicine. I love that. All right, so now we're at the point of the show where it gets fun. Here's where we get to know Alex McFarland a little bit better. I'm going to ask a question or ask you to pick between two things. So your personal interests include martial arts. So this segment will be heavily weighted on that. So just to be upfront with you, there's no points awarded, no prizes earned. Sorry about that. Are you ready? I'll be keeping score internally. <laughs> 
that you will. All right, pick from these iconic martial arts actors. Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme? Oh, that's, yeah, Jean-Claude every day. All day long. Every day. Although I will say memes for Steven Seagal are are endless and they provide they, they brighten my day whenever I run across them. <laughs> Chuck Norris or Jet Lee? Chuck Norris. Oh, love old school. I love Jackie. Chuck. I remember sorry, yeah. really quick. Just those old Texas Ranger. Oh yeah. Uh that was that was always late night TV back when I was growing up. I learned to love Chuck from those. Kick butt and take names. Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee? Oh man, two fantastic individuals. I'm gonna go with Bruce just because he's he's like he is the icon in uh, in martial arts, but in, in entertainment. But I love, uh, uh, gosh, I just based on who our who my Jackie second Chan. option was. Jackie, yeah, Chan, Jackie Chan, that yeah. positive energy, that smile yeah. is so great. So I mean, he can kick butt with a smile on his face. I love that. All right, so pick from these iconic martial arts movies. Kill Bill Volume One or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Oh man, Kill Bill. I think I'll uh, go with Kill Bill. The Legend of Drunken Master or Karate Kid? Oh boy, you're giving me you're giving me ones I'm gonna have a hard time picking between, but I'm gonna go with Karate Kid. That was definitely in my uh, VHS player as a kid. All right, so we're gonna draw on your uh, military background here. Pick from these military movies. Saving Private Ryan or Black Hawk Down? Saving Private Ryan. Uh, here's I had to throw this in. We're going to have some fun with this one. Stripes or Major Pain? Oh, man. Both, <laughs> both fantastic movies. I'm going to go with Stripes. I think that was a favorite of my dad's. It was on our in the library of movies at home, and I, I, I think that that one left an indelible mark on me in ways that I probably don't understand. I love Major Pain. Ah, my my elbow's hurting. Give me your finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were a few drill sergeants that I ran into that I'm sure drew a lot of their inspiration from Major Pain as well. <laughs> all right. Who's your favorite military leader of all time? Boy, I think uh, this one, I'm going to have two answers on this. One is John Boyd, who is the um, America's greatest fighter pilot and inventor of so many things that are applied in military strategy and business strategy today. And the other one I really like is Abraham Lincoln. And I, I'm going to answer that one a little bit strangely. I I look to his letters to his leaders as as he's trying to navigate the Civil War. And it it's I, I realize just how much learning I have to do in terms of making difficult decisions, helping people to find the courage to make difficult decisions and um, and keeping a, a brave face as you navigate that. So that would be That'd be my choice. That's fair. Cooking skills on a scale from one to ten. Boy, I think I make the best steak in Omaha, so I'll uh, I'll go with a four on that one. I think <laughs> I get like three points for my steak. Okay, so I. What are your skills? You say you make the best steak in Omaha, and then you give yourself a four. Yeah, well, I tell you what. If you put a vegetable in front of me, it's either going <laughs> to be overcooked or undercooked. Uh, I also can do a mean over medium egg, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a big foodie guy. So I, I, I'm Love judging it. based on the masters for sure. All right. So what's the most recent book you have read or currently reading? 
book I'm reading right now is The Dynasty by Jeff Benedict. Uh, I fascinated recently actually started paying attention to professional professional sports just from a leadership perspective and what Bob Kraft was able to do from a personal level and to develop himself uh, and and then be able to keep those those personalities and 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 having the pressure of that their success keeping it all together I think I'm really enjoying hearing that story and, I, and I'll say another thing just that Jeff Benedict is a fantastic example of getting into the mind of the people that he's writing about so highly recommend anything from him all right so what is your dream dinner party for four you and three other people dead or alive who are they oh man let's see dream dinner party I'd say I love a good storyteller and uh this one I, I probably would throw out Jesus on this one I love a good parable I I've been just chewing on some of those parables has been a, an activity that's a favorite of mine that's kind of a cheap answer I feel like maybe uh I'll go with Lincoln I definitely would love to have Lincoln at my dinner party and then um maybe a surprising one is I'd love to I'd love to sit down with LeBron James uh, well that is an eclectic group of people right there. it would certainly be a strange dinner I think we'd probably go get Thai food somewhere on the beach <laughs> And drink uh, watermelon juice and and, and talk. <laughs> I love that. All right. Again, no points awarded, nothing won, and you'll like it. But thanks anyway. So thanks, Jeff. Right, back to the ranch. Every conversation I have on what leaders want will include the topic, what is my most impactful leadership moment? So you have an interesting impact leadership moment that includes failing a test. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So as a signals intelligence guy, my first, we were, we had a really long pipeline of schools and the longest pipeline of, or the longest school was uh, the Defense Language Institute. I was uh, selected to learn Korean and I, that, that program is about 63 weeks long. I mentioned that I broke my leg uh, while I was in the service. And so I had, um, let's see, interrupted my first stint at, at learning Korean had to take about six, nine months off to rehab after breaking my leg and then start again. And by the end of that, I was almost, I think, two and a half years of being at that school. And most kids are out in, in a year or less. And I'd been there for two and a half years. Finally make it to the end of the program. I take a what's called the defense language proficiency test. And I passed two of the three sections. I failed one of the sections. And I think it was listening. And uh, which probably wouldn't surprise my folks. But uh <laughs> I, I so I failed listening and I and I really I'll tell you Jay I fell into the most intense period of a victim mentality that I think I've I've ever ever been in so uh but the the military doesn't give up on people so or at least they didn't give up on their investment in, in us in that school so they gave us a chance to do a remedial course 12 weeks of remedial training and I had the sourest attitude and one of our professors was a 80 year old 80 plus year old Korean war vet he had uh he had immigrated to the United States and become a, become a teacher at DLI, had been there for a long time. He took one look at me and, and just di totally diagnosed the problem, set me aside one day. We had a cup of coffee and he handed me a book uh, called Boyd. I mentioned John Boyd earlier in our conversation. And he said, Alex, your focus is all about what's going what's going on to you. I want read this book and just think about what you could do with all that energy if you were to to commit it to serving others, to to service before self. And I didn't want to read the book. 
uh, I'd set it aside. I wanted to be angry for a couple of weeks. We got to be maybe two or three weeks left in the end of the course. And he said, Alex, I want my book back. When are you going to get me my book? So I, I knew I had to read it. So I, I, I sprinted through the book and I was amazed by the story of John Boyd, a guy that um, came in at the end of World War II, fought in Korea. He was known as 42nd Boyd because he was able to, to defeat any of his uh, training opponents in 40 seconds or less. Guy invented the OODA loop. He was instrumental in the F-15, F-16. But what I really loved about John Boyd is he was constantly challenging the status quo and he was willing to take risks with his career to uh, to improve the service and, and really put, the guy could have been a, a four-star general, ended up retiring as a colonel because he made a... He made a lot of waves in making change. So I think that that was one, it was a lesson that I still chew on to this day, service before self. And also Boyd's a model for me of of, of what's possible with, with really, really strong uh, commitment to finding solutions. So, um, you know, Dr. Lee was, and oh, and Dr. Lee helped me pass that course. So I ended up passing the the exam at the end of that. And and I got to take that that book uh, in, the, in the lessons with it for the rest of my life. And I think they're it's uh, serving me well. Wow. What a great lesson in. Victim thinking versus gratitude thinking. We saw your shift as and some influences along the way. Leadership is about, you know, influencers. And it sounds like you had a short-term influencer in in this leader of, of that course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So sometimes automation gets a, a black eye in our world, Alex, but when utilized properly, automation can actually lead to positive outcomes. How do you profit from using automation in your business? I think we do hear a lot about automation right now, and it's, 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 uh, it's, on everybody's mind. I think at the core of it, we, I, I recommend it to my clients, to my team, to think about automation as ways of allowing you to focus on your domain of maximum value and set aside things that, um, that you, the tedious work. And so in our world, scheduling can be a really, uh, really tedious kind of piece of recruiting. So we use automation tools to just make things like scheduling easier. And the upshot is, and I think where the future is in recruiting and sales and customer services, it's going to be all about using automation to enable human connection. So at the end of the day, these are tools to serve people and they're not people serving the tools. I, I just don't see that being an outcome. Terminator was a great movie, but I don't think that's where we're headed. So I would say, <laughs> yeah, AI and automation to connect people and, and make it easier for people to, to get connected and stay connected. I know you like to talk about alignment and alignment is a challenge in, in many organizations, quite frankly. Talk about how you make alignment work with your internal hiring teams and your external recruiting teams. Well, Jay, I feel like that's the million dollar question for Persevis right now. We spent the last couple of years really figuring out candidate experience and how to get in, how to build significant candidate pools 
get in contact and conversation with as many people that might be interested in a role as possible. We've figured that out. That's that's worked fantastically. What we've realized that we needed was how could we align that with our with the interests of our clients and that what's going on in their business. And that's been a leader, frankly, a leadership challenge for me and has brought me to awareness of the need to level up because it's one thing to align your internal team. It's a whole other thing to try to align with folks that you're only interacting with maybe once or twice a week. And and how can you show up and and be um, be an effective influencer? That's that's something that I haven't quite figured out yet, Jay. But with the help of some great coaches, I think that we're gonna we're gonna be able to figure that out to the benefit of of ourselves and, and our clients. Alex, I love the fact that you brought up uh, the word influence. Um, and there's really three kinds of influence. I love to talk about this. It's how we were influenced. It's how we f- influence others. And But the most important that I think is how we influence ourselves. So share with us who some of your influencers were that, that really molded you to who you are today earlier in life. I've, I've been really lucky, Jay. I've had a ton of, of fantastic people step in throughout my life, and I must have looked like I needed a lot of help. So there were plenty of people willing to offer it. Uh, you know, my mom was a start with there. She was, especially in the last 10, 15 years, has been a, a real uh, role model on the possibility of personal change and commitment to self-improvement in a really meaningful and deep way. And I've, I've watched the effect of that trickle out uh, beyond just my, uh, as a role model for myself and for others, but just seeing the impact she's had on her community. Uh, my dad has been, a, he's a business consultant and uh, growing up listening to him talk about business, first of all, just made me very literate in the world and the problems of small and mid-sized business owners and leaders. But really he taught me persistence. I mean, the guy, I want to quit every year when we was playing a sport. He said, that's fine. You just got to quit at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, that's been a, a tremendous uh, super superpower really for me. Um, I'd say another one is my uncle. You know, just from a, a leadership perspective, the guy taught me to taught me to just give people space to make mistakes and learn from them. That's what he did for me. I've watched him do it for other people, and that was a real tremendous impact on me. Um, I had a, a, a an instructor in the Air Force in that time that I was at DLI. His name was Sergeant Smith, and he led by example and and he was fair and every time he had he told me to to correct i did it because i knew that he wasn't doing it for there was no arbitrary taking it out on people so i learned really from him the importance of being the model and and being consistent in my interactions with other people um that's a pretty good list man i could keep going but i've been i've been very lucky so do you feel motivated to then carry that influence forward to influence others much like you've been influenced. Oh yeah, tremendously. I think one of the things is just realizing that it's a lot more fun to be around positive people and that if I want positive energy in my life, I've got to be emanating it. And, you know, it all starts, it starts with me and and any change that I want to see. So that's been a, a tremendous uh, uh, change of perspective for me and something that I'm going to carry forward, I think, uh, with with pleasure, with pleasure. That is absolutely a leadership lesson that has been the most fun is the power of positivity on other people, on the impact it has on other people, relationships with other people. I love to hear that. So 
If you were to sit down and have a discussion with Alex McFarlane in his early 20s, what advice would you give him? Have fun. That would have been it. I mean, I think I would have gone on the same. I tell, I talk to my my peers and I talk to mentors and I say, gosh, if I would have known how hard this was going to be when I first got started, I don't think I ever would have done it. But the reality was, I don't think there was another path for me. So we were going to have, uh, you know, the benefit of the benefit of fun instead of just gritting my teeth. Gosh, that would have made the ride all the better, I think. Oh, that's a great answer. Alex, thanks for your time today and sharing your thoughts about leadership. Friends, that's a wrap. We're going to put a bow on this episode of What Leaders Want. Today's podcast was sponsored by Canadis 3, the experts in leadership development, coaching, and consulting. Canadis 3 develops people into leaders of people. Until we meet again, remember, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you, my friends, are a leader. Bye now.